Hi, storygoers, and welcome back to another episode of Tales from the Cartridge, the video game storytelling podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Eric Penrod. And I will be your other co-host, Ryan Bauer. Today, Ryan, we have another special guest. It is our good friend and musical genius, Jesse Law. Hi, everybody. As we always ask our guests, we always, how are you and what games have you been playing lately? I am doing uh, great lately. I was um, uh, telling telling Ryan yesterday as we were getting ready for this. Right now, I am, I am, I am. I am just deep into Warriors Orochi 4 as any any Warriors games they come out with that I can get my hands on, I am playing them. Warriors Orochi 4 is really fun because you get to play as all the historical characters from uh, ancient China and Japan who come together to fight the Olympic gods of like like Zeus and Athena and Ares but then secretly it turns out you actually have to fight the Nordic gods like Odin and Loki and it's a whole time. Wow. It actually sounds amazing. I don't think I've ever played those games before. It's yeah, because the regular games, it, it's just it's like like there's like Dynasty Warriors and Samurai Warriors, and they've just come out with like Hyrule Warriors. They have like a Zelda version of it, but it's basically you just like play as like li- like literal historical either characters from like uh, feudal Japan or like the three the Warring Kingdoms uh, era in China. So you can be like Ieyasu Tokugawa, who like led Japan, but now he's got like a cannon spear. And the rest of them all have, like, superpowers. So it's really fun. You just, you, like, destroy, like, thousands of people at a time. You're basically a god. Wait, he didn't have can spears back then? No. <laughs> no. It's, it's, it's a sad, but it's a good... History would be so much cooler if there was. <laughs> it would. That's, that's kind of the fun of it. Like, if someone, if we do, if we ever did a trivia game now featuring, like, you know, feudal, feudal Japanese warlords, I'd be... Probably still pretty good at it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then I'm trying. I'm trying to finish that out so I can start Hades, which everyone has told me is the best game ever yes. this year. Mm-hmm. So I'm, 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 I'm preparing to get on that bandwagon. I, I bought the game. It's on my Switch. Still, just have to play it. Very good. But uh, Ryan, how are you doing? And uh, what games have you been playing? Uh, I am doing pretty good. It was a bit of a crazy week, but I am happy to be here with my friends. I've been playing a ton of a game called, I think I talked about this last week, a little bit, Oxygen Not Included. Just now, that has engulfed everything that I've been playing. It's it, I love management games. And so all throughout the week, I like... I found a YouTuber and I've watched all his tutorials on oxygen management, water management, gas management, and all these things that like I find super fascinating. And now, I, yesterday I jumped in and I've started my last my last base collapsed as I used up too much water and and I hit a, a pocket of chlorine and it killed everyone. But it's fine. We're gonna start again and rebuild, and I'm excited for that. So I've been playing a ton of oxygen not included. Yeah, Eric, how are you? What have you been playing? I'm good. Actually, before I jump in, I just want to ask, like, do you ever look at your partner and go, hey, you're breathing too much oxygen right now. You need to kind of calm down. Yeah, we, we do. Yeah, we're Ryan, not Ryan producing just, enough. Ryan just becomes this, like, you know, super, super detail-oriented person, like, measuring everything in their home now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> water. Shut the water off. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for asking. I'm good. Yeah, it was a pretty low-key week, but I started going back to work. Well, I mean, I've been working, but I've been working remotely, so now I go in person this coming week, which is exciting. I don't know if it's going to be exciting when it happens or not but we'll see and uh but yeah for games i've been playing i finally beat spider-man miles morales i uh i beat the whole thing it was really good i just i i, I think i said before it's just such a good game but i thought it was gonna be kind of just a normal experience for a spider-man game that the 2019 one was really good but this was way better than i was anticipating and one of the costumes involves a cat that fights with you kind of and it's i'm here for it it's, it's fantastic <laughs> i love it but yeah besides that i'm again I'm back in hades like every time i'm done with a game i just go back to hades till i want a, like a fuller experience then i'll jump into a new game but yeah hades is that like filler game that's like just perfect 
Uh, so more Hades. I'm stuck on Heat 20. I just can't get past it. I just, it's killing. You'll me. get there. I don't know. You'll get I there. Do it. Literally killing me because I died. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, that is how I'm doing, and I hope all the story goers are doing well. Also, uh, as always, if you want to write in about your thoughts, feelings, and perspectives about this game that we're going to cover today or any other games you want that we covered before please email us at tales from the cartridge at gmail.com all the e's are threes you can also comment or dm us on our instagram or twitter we'll read your comments on the show now before we jump into today's game we want to quickly shout out our newest review on apple Podcasts, which is super super cool i'm going to read it really fast it's a five-star review which is super nice thank you so much and this is from mc underscore bison and they say uh, incredible show. This has been such a fun find, and the hosts are absolutely delightful to listen to, and they cover video games that are extremely relevant to my interests. I always have fun listening, and I feel like I'm part of the conversation. Highly recommend for any fan of gaming podcasts. When I read that, it made my day. It was awesome. Yeah. It felt so good. I listened I listened to uh, a couple before to get ready for this, and I definitely I listened to the Banjo-Kazooie one. Which I felt one did did very very good justice to the game, and two made me really want to play it like super bad again. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I I actually like when it, we covered that game after watching. I was like, man, I just want to. I've been buying a bunch of N sixty four games. I forgot to mention that I bought Mario Kart again and oh. Pilot Wings, and so I'm and Pokemon Snap. And my my girlfriend doesn't know that yet. It's a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Uh, but yeah, actually, I really want to buy Banjo Kazooie again because that game is so special. I'm sorry, go ahead, Jesse. I didn't mean to. Oh no, that 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 was pretty much it. It was just I, oh, okay. I was just talking along with the podcast the whole time about all the nerdy esoteric things I and feelings I had about Banjo Kazooie. <laughs> <laughs> well, write in. We'll read it. <laughs> oh, I think I will. Or Sam, no, either way. <laughs> yeah so thank you mc bison thank you so much for your review and for anyone else that is feeling kind enough to take some time and review us and give us fingers crossed five stars we would really really appreciate it and, and thanks for calling us an incredible host i think that's what they said yeah yeah i appreciate that it makes you feel really good because i am super critical of myself every time i edit one episode. it's okay <laughs> Uh, but moving on to today's game, Jesse, since you are our special guest, we asked you to pick the game. Would you like to announce to the story, or what that, what that game is? Yes, today we will be uh, doing uh, a dramatic read-through of the story of the Dungeons & Dragons-based game, Baldur's Gate. The very, the first one, the original, the classic, all the way back from 1998. Wow. All these games we cover are from like 98 and... And it just makes you feel like, where's time gone? I just don't know. <laughs> it's old. And I will say, too, storygoers, you voted for this game. We Jesse picked three games, and we posted them on our Instagram and Twitter, and this and Baldur's Gate is the one that got the most picks. By, by so quite a bit. Those. By quite a bit. People, yeah, were, yeah. people were ravenous for some Baldur's Gate. They were ready for it. It was between this this and KOTOR got all the votes. But this, no this shadow beat on out the Colossus left. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, we'll, we'll, we'll run it back. Which <laughs> <laughs> is crazy, it's just crazy. I thought Shadow of the Colossus would have won, quite yeah. honestly. Mm-hmm. Or I, I just I, that game is just I know it's beloved by so many people. I just would have figured, but yeah, yeah. go figure, go figure. Um, but Ryan, you want to jump us? Or I'm sorry, but Ryan, do you want to kind of cover some of the background information we got for the game? Sure, sure, I'll cover some background. So uh, the game was released on December 21st, 1998. The enhanced edition was released November 28th, 2012, which is like kind of a newer, updated version. So if you're looking to get a hold of it, um, this is where you can find it on Steam, and I think it might even be on platforms these days. 
And then Jesse was telling me, which I didn't even realize this, that Siege of Dragonspire, which is an expansion, was released like four years ago, which is wild and does not happen. It was developed by Bioware and Blackout Studios, published by Interplay Studios, writer and lead designer uh, Lucas Chris Johnson um, and composer Michael Hoing. And Jesse, do you want to talk to us about some inspirations and some fun facts you found about the game? The things I found was it's, it's, an, it's an isometric RPG which found out some of the big inspirations for the game was like the game like Wasteland, which also inspired, you know, the original Fallout games, which also were in that old um, isometric kind of thing where you're kind of, you know, it's kind of seeing from like a camera's point of view above everything and clicking to move people around until, you know, like Fallout 3 where it became a first-person shooter type of thing. So uh, those kind of early isometric role-playing games had a big impact you know with things like dice rolling and more like random effects like that so that's then and that's when Baldur's Gate came which was which was kind of known at the time as the is the the one that really kind of like set the bar for what these types of RPG games uh could really be and what they could do and looking through again I was I was super jarred to find out the expansion to the first game (laughs) came out in 2016 like like the sequel to like Baldur's Gate one was nineteen ninety eight. Two years later, they came out with the sequel, and I think it was one year later they had an expansion of the second game. I haven't played anything in the second game, so that was just like mind drawing to me. But it, it made sense thinking about it now, like all the the cool things in the story they did. I found out there was a Baldur's Gate three planned originally to follow up those games that was uh, canceled in 2003 we only had to wait another you know almost two decades until (laughs) we're now waiting for what should be the awesome Baldur's Gate 3 that's coming out that I'm very excited for I found out the addition of Dungeons and Dragons rules that the original Baldur's Gate is based off of is the advanced Dungeons and Dragons second edition which confused the heck out of me because you know I've only been playing Dungeons and Dragons for like three years, but like, but like most of those three years, like most of the time I've spent playing D&D. So I've been, I've been making up for a lot of lost time in like middle school when I definitely would have loved to play these games. Um, so like your armor class is better when it's negative now. And I'm like, sure, the numbers get green when they're better. So that's what I went off of playing the game. The original Baldur's Gate was not expected to sell very well. Financial projections. Uh, they're, they're like, no, nah, this, this isn't going to sell well. Nobody's going to buy these, these, you know, silly these silly fantasy games, kids don't want that nowadays. But it uh, it sold the the first fifty thousand copies, sold out immediately of the game, and went on to be a a good financial and very very critically responded to success. That was the cool stuff there. It was, it was just this nice underdog story of how it kind of it kind of launched D and D games into a new era where you know they continued with sequels of this, and I think there was like the the Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance games and other things. Of that nature, so this one was kind of the the big pinnacle driving for it, and of course, you know, one to inspire other like all the Bioware games that I think you know, like Kotor. That you know, there's a lot of similarities to how this game and things like Kotor, and eventually like Mass Effect and Dragon Age, and all those kind of other big RPG series that I know a lot of people love. Yeah, that's awesome. It's interesting. I never knew how influential Baldur's Gate was. It's it's cool when a game like that is so influential. You don't. It's off your radar, but when you learn about it, how influential. I I played Kotor. I played a few Dragon Ages, but it's really cool to see how games can can influence and and create these other great games too. It's it's 
as cheesy as it sounds, a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that we may not have all of those beautiful Bioware games if they didn't cut their teeth on this acclaimed success of Baldur's Gate. If it if it wasn't successful, we may not have those games. So in, in that way that this Baldur's Gate paved the road so we could have Night's Guild Republic and Mass Effect and Dragon Age, these other really wonderful games. Yeah, and actually now uh, with the recent news that uh, Lucasfilm Games has been established and that more Star Wars games will be developed across more places. Hopefully we get more cool like KOTOR game sequels yeah. and, and things like that. That'd be really, really nice to get back into that. We'll jump into memories now, and I'm pretty sure I'm the one with the least amount of memories of, these, <laughs> of this game. So if it's okay if I start first. Yeah, I, uh, I, sure. I've never played Baldur's Gate. I think the first time I ever really seen anything of it was the trailer for Baldur's Gate 3, and I thought, whoa, that looks really cool. Like, that looks trippy. And I didn't even know it was Dungeons & Dragons. For some, I just... I didn't put that connection together until I think Ryan, you told me. And I was like, oh, I, it blew my mind. I had no idea. I had no idea. When I think of Dungeons and Dragons, I've, I've only ever played with Ryan. I, I take it seriously, but I also try to be funny. And I'm a little bit too funny sometimes. So every time I think of it, there was a time where I played as a Batman-esque character who threw a battering across a bridge and made an impossible shot into a goblin's eye and knocked him into a river. And I, it blew my mind. I was so much fun. And um, I really should play more, actually, in retrospect. But anyway, back to the Baldur's Gate. I, yeah, I never played it. I'm sure my dad probably played it. He had games like this all the time in, on his computer, but I was a Nintendo boy, so I just didn't even pay attention. So <laughs> I'm very excited to learn more about this game. I'm hoping it inspires me to inspires me to want to go play more of them and, and play Baldur's Gate 3 when it officially releases. So Ryan, you want to go next? Sure, sure. I'll dive in next. Um, so this is a series of games that's always kind of been on my radar. Probably three or four years ago, I picked a bunch of them up in a Steam sale. I think it was three or four years ago. And I dived in and I started playing Boulder's Gate. And uh, it was just so difficult for me to get into because it was an older game. I could see those those through lines, but the mechanics were just like, I just wanted to control one character. And as Jesse, I'm sure, can explain in much greater detail, you're controlling like six characters at one time in this like fast-paced fighting. And it was just like, I felt kind of overwhelmed and, and I, I just dipped right out of it. And then I dumped into Baldur's Gate 2. I played that for a little bit and I, I don't remember where I fell off, but these are games that I've, I've heard about, have been kind of out in the world, um, and as a person similar to Jesse who's played a lot of d and I, 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 you, as you're doing research or you're looking up or you're diving into the world of Forgotten Realms, which is where Baldur's Gate is in, in the D&D that we play, we, we, I get some of these references and I get some of the things that are going on. So the story pieces I understand, but the gameplay just, I, I, it didn't jive with me. And I'm really wanting to go back after touching, talking to Jesse and hearing more. But Jesse, do you want to share more of your thoughts and your memories yeah. of this wonderful game? I think, I think I bought the enhanced editions of these games probably because I, I think I remember because you, I think you sent a message to like our Facebook group of like, there is a sale. And I was like, Sure, what the heck? Because I think we found out they were multiplayer too, and we tried that yeah. out, which was mm-hmm. fun. Um, oh, cool! But I got the, yeah. You can you can make like a party with your friends, and then and and fight over when you need to like go to a store or like we didn't even <laughs> we didn't even get to the point where we had to worry no. about inventory management, like characters dying, and we it would have been. But we played through a bit of it. That was was pretty cool. Um, uh, so I, I I probably bought it on that sale at the same time Ryan was mentioning it and then it probably sat in my steam library for a bit until i eventually tried it out and i i had a i had a similar experience where i started out and i was like it's like mechanics are like weird i don't know this version of dungeon dragons and it's like you know like things are things are weird and different which kind of reminded me to my first time playing like knights of the republic where i remember like i can't press a button to just make my character sword move i just tell them to attack and then they do it (laughs) So it was it was sort of similar to that. I I think I put it away for like a couple months after I got 
No, what I did was I started as just a character and played up to about like the first town after the tutorial. I think it wasn't until I realized like, oh, I can put in my own sounds to this game. I'm going to make my character that I've been playing for like three years now in Ryan's games of Dungeons and Dragons. Because I was like, that just sounds a lot more fun to me <laughs> if I get to make it like my character's like pseudo backstory it's more like it's more like a story that he would tell is his backstory when it's it's not <laughs> <laughs> so um so yeah all my memories of the game are from like the last like year of me actually playing the game <laughs> because then then the the story just became you know it, it it gets to hook you in eventually and there's all like the weird cheesy Dungeons and Dragons things in the world. Like there's like a whole there's like a whole tower of like a dwarven dude who goes mad and lays this whole tower with traps and things and it's all there's like a there's like a chessboard battle at some point. It just keeps going on forever. You're like, how many traps are in here? It's cool that the developers of this game really took to it sounds like they took to heart that, you know, D and D is what you make it. It's it's your your imagination and you and this own your own story kind of uh, being told in, in the ways that you want it to and the fact that they allowed you to make your put your own character into it with your own sound effects and like and mold the game in that that way especially for a game from 1998 it kind of blows my mind because i don't i can't think of any other games that would have done that back then it's crazy it's so cool it's it's you know if, if for anyone who hasn't played the game you know it's it's very similar to something like night shield republic or, or dragon age where you know you're playing your own like very customized character who can be any number of different you know, genders or races and, and personalities and any any different kind of uh, choices you can make in the game. So for for my run through, like I said, I'm I'm my character Callis the Humble, a bard, and uh, I I kind of he's 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 a he's he's a little bit of like a mischief maker, but is ultimately a good guy. So I kind of took you know the 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 sort of the general like canonical good choices that one might take in the game with a with a nice a nice few of like the neutral sardonic lines thrown in <laughs> every now and then, and so that's kind of what the the story today is cool. is uh, is crafted around is sort of my my personal playthrough. But knowing that if you play the game, things can can turn out very differently. And you can just have like wildly different experiences, like any like any big RPG. There's things you can just miss entirely, things that you find uh, that you know your friends or other people wouldn't have. So it sounds like we'll have to bring Callius back for Baldur's Gate Two, is what you're saying. There's there's just there's the expansion of this game. Then I have to go play Baldur's Gate Two, and then there's an expansion for that game. When Baldur's Gate Three comes out, I'll have to come back. To so we've that got you on contract yeah. for at least four more yes. episodes. I've, 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 I've secured some good, some good, some good intern employment. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, we make no money, so uh, <laughs> that's fine. In, in the eventuality, we ever do. You can have thirty-three percent of everything we make. <laughs> can you split a penny in thirty? Oh boy. <laughs> no, I was very excited when 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 Ryan asked me to be on this, and it was very fun writing this 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 story out uh, in this manner. I will say too, this is off topic slightly, but I, I was really happy when Ryan said you wanted to come on, Jesse, because when I first like, I think when I first talked to you, we were playing Among Us with our friend group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, every time we started a game, <laughs> he, he say, oh man, crewmate again. Crewmate again, come on. It was, just, it was like, I, I was laughing too hard at it, and I knew I was, but for some reason it was just so funny to me. I don't know why. I was like expecting it, and you'd say it, and it's perfect. 
Well, yeah, because that's that's the meta in Among Us now. You just every every game starts. You say, "Oh, crewmate again," and then you know, then people don't know what to do. They're psyched out. Is he is he crewmate again? Is he lying? You know, it's like eventually it's like a boy who cried wolf thing. It's like when you finally are the imposter. They're like, "No, he's just crewmate this time. He says it every time." And it's like that. He's always then, a crewmate. Then you murder. Him. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. All right, sorry. <laughs> Off that tangent. Um, before we start into the story, do you guys have any final thoughts? Just excited to hear the wonderfully crafted story that Jesse has has <laughs> written for us in in his character's voice. As uh, I've I've grown to love and care so much for Callius the humble, so I can't wait to hear what his experience is in this in this adventure. <laughs> I will say too, Jesse, I, I wanted to, to thank you because um, Ryan was describing this, your script that you wrote. And then I immediately became insecure. It just sounds so good. It just sounds so good. So actually, we wrote an episode for our good friends at the First Encounter podcast. They asked us to write an episode for them that we mm-hmm. recorded yesterday. And when Ryan told me about your script, it inspired me to kind of rework the script that we had written for a game called Odd World. Is Odyssey, and it was totally different than what I was picturing, and it turned out even better. So I want to thank you for your roundabout way of inspiring me through my insecurity. Of this <laughs> oh, well, that's that's very nice of you to say. Thank you. Yes, no problem, no problem. I'm, thank I'm you. I, I appreciate help. you coming on here. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, then, without any further ado, let's begin the show. He who fights with monsters should look to it that he himself does not become a monster. When you gaze long into the abyss, the abyss also gazes into you. Friedrich Nietzsche. Greetings, fair travelers. My name is Callius the Humble, bard extraordinaire. And tonight, I shall entertain you with the greatest, most exciting tale ever told, mine. It is a tale fraught with tragedy and sorrow, with indomitable camaraderie and sizzling romance. Monsters, brigands, demons, the very gods themselves each play a part in this heroic tale. We begin our adventure in the quiet fortress of Candlekeep, a library that serves as a bastion for learning and knowledge filled with old tomes and even older monks. I was raised there by my foster father, Gorion, a powerful wizard in his own right, and a kind and gentle man. As one can guess, in my spare time there was little else to do than read books. There was no one else my age in the keep save for my childhood friend Imoim, but I found myself growing irritated by her constant pestering as the years went on. In my readings, I became ensorcelled by tales of heroic adventure, fighting dragons, defeating evil knights, saving kingdoms from complete annihilation. I longed to be part of such an epic tale. It would certainly be a welcome change of pace from the boring humdrum of Candlekeep. I practiced music so I could learn the songs of these epic tales to further bring them to life. My talents were wasted, however, on the monks, who did not appreciate my singing and flute playing during the hours of their intensive studying, or when they were sleeping. Especially critical of my performances were the chanters, who stood around in the courtyard all day and proclaimed ancient prophecies from our wise founder, Alondo, over and over with a dreadful monotone. Oh, I had to listen to them so much. I can still recite them from memory. Oh, let's see. Oh, here's a dramatic one. 
The Lord of Murder shall perish, but in his doom he shall spawn a score of mortal progeny. Chaos will be sown from their passage, so saith the wise Alondo. Mm. I thought a nice harmony on the flute would accompany their chants well, but they had different artistic visions. Instead of exciting adventure, I spent my days helping out the denizens of Candlekeep with odd chores. Flidia, a powerful but forgetful mage, required help in finding a lost book of hers, a very desirable chore in a library fortress, I can assure you. Drappin, a kind and studious monk, needed an antidote to help his ailing cow, Nessa. Fuller, a dutiful officer of the guard, asked me to fetch some extra crossbow bolts from the innkeep, Winthrop. Oh... Every time I see that jolly, plump innkeeper, he is eager to greet me by exclaiming, My hotel is as clean as an elven arse! Which often made me uncomfortable, knowing my mother was of an elvish heritage. Oh, then, of course, was the town assassin who wanted me to help him by dying so he could get paid with a handsome sum of gold. Wait, what? Oh, an assassin? Oh, the figure came with me. With a gleaming blade in hand, I fought for my very life, and somehow managed to apprehend this fiend just before the guards arrived to take him away. Oh, why was this man here? How did he get inside? Candlekeep could only be entered by a gift of a, of a rare tome or scroll to add to its, its libraries. Oh, as I left to find my father, he found me and, and managed to calm my panic. My boy, I am so glad you are all right. This is very unnerving, I know, but you must trust me. It's very important that you pack your possessions so that we may leave Candlekeep immediately. Hurry, for there is no time to tarry. The keep is well protected, but not invulnerable. Stunned by this shocking turn of events, I did as I was told and gathered what possessions I had. I purchased a crossroad from Winthrop, who again did not let me leave without assuring me how clean his hotel was and how comparable it was to the naked backsides of the pointy-eared dwellers of the forest. I hurried towards the gates, leading to the world outside Candlekeep, with no time to say goodbye to dear Flidia, to Fuller, to Drepin, or his cow, or any of the others I knew my whole life. Young Imowen approached me as I made to leave, asking where I was going with my things packed. I told her I was leaving with my father, and gave no further information. She asked to come with me, but I said it would be far too dangerous. She walked off with a pout. She was the last person I spoke to within those walls before I... I left for good. That night, Gorion and I left the sheltered walls of Candlekeep and walked into the wilderness of the Sword Coast. As we moved with haste, Gorion assured me he would explain all once we were somewhere safe. Our destination was the Friendly Arm Inn, where we were to meet two of his old friends, Jahira and Khalid. I had often heard stories of brigands or feral wolves on the road, and kept an eye in the dark shadows outside Gorion's flickering lantern light. Suddenly, Gorion put out his hand to stop me, and I could see faint figures ahead of us on the road. I counted six. Two of them. Massive ogres, twice as tall as a regular man. Three well-armed thugs with crooked smiles brandishing bows from their backs and one armored figure standing at the front. I saw his eyes through his helmet, horns protruding from the top, his gaze burning with malicious purpose. You're perceptive for an old man. You know why I'm here. 
Hand over your ward, and no one will be hurt. If you resist, it shall be a waste of your life. Gorion responded. You are a fool if you believe I would trust your benevolence. Step aside, and you and your lackeys will be unhurt. The armor figure replied with an almost eager glee in his voice. I'm sorry you feel that way, old man. Before I could move, I felt a stinging pain and saw an arrow shaft sprouting from my side. One of the thugs raised their black bow in my direction, another arrow already knocked. Run, child! Get out of here! Garin shouted at me. His wizard staff was held aloft, and he faced the attackers. Without protest, I limped away as fast as I could into a nearby bush. I thought for sure they would follow me, but the sounds of arcane attacks filled the air. I turned and saw Garion surrounded by mirror images of himself. The archers tried piercing him with their arrows, but their shots only caught the illusory duplicates. The ogres approached with clubs made from fallen trees in hand, but Garion loosed a volley of magical bolts that knocked them to the ground. The armored figure himself approached with a jagged sword in hand. He swung at the many Gorions, but still found himself unable to find the true wizard. One of the thugs behind them began chanting a magical incantation of their own, and I watched in horror as their spell sprang forth and dispelled Gorion's illusions, leaving only one target. The armored figure cleaved his sword through my father, his body landing in two pieces on the ground. Tears in my eyes, I ran blindly into the forest. I ran as fast as I could for as long as my legs would carry me, until my body collapsed from exhaustion in the woods. So that opening is basically just the prologue and tutorial of the game, uh, shunting you with that inciting incident now into the into the world of the the sword coast surrounding the city of Baldur's Gate. That was so good. That was so and. and uh, man, okay. So, Jesse, if you want to be the new host. <laughs> this keeps um, happening. They come on, and they're just so much better. <laughs> I know, right? I, am, I, am, I would literally be happy to come and join you wonderful people as, as much as is available. And I think, Jesse, you have a background in, in doing voices, right? Um, did a lot of, of, uh, of uh, theater in, in high school and things, and... Uh, 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 you know, I did a uh, music education for for my degree. Um, so you know that that had a lot of you know like language work, and and you know you still you know even when singing you know you work on communicating, uh, you know through those ways. And it's also just something I just really like doing, as Ryan can attest to, as I've been been basically doing this shtick for him for like <laughs> three years straight now. <laughs> so much life is brought to this story through its telling but you as a character are um thrown into this situation that you're you you want to leave you want to escape this place you're kind of bored and done with it and then when you finally get a taste of that freedom this incredible tragedy happens that kind of kickstarts your journey which i think is just a really good way to set up any kind of story is this this unassuming but you know wide-eyed character who's sent off into the world a world much more dangerous and, and scary than, than they were hoping for. But it's just, I think it's a really good intro, a really great setup for a story. Yeah, it's got this mm-hmm. really nice, like, like mythic type of vibe, like a very, like, hero's journey of, like, you start and you're, like, your nice little safe space, like, you're, you're just looking on Tatooine with your aunt and uncle, and then, like, <laughs> they're dead, and there's, like, evil people <laughs> looking for you, and now you have to go into the world and mm-hmm. find some find some random strangers who are good with guns and magic and <laughs> save the day. It's, it's pronounced Callius, right? Yes, Callius the Humble. 
Callie. I, what I love so much already is that how well you did characterizing Callie is so well. Like Callie is this kind of, I, I would say, very confident, funny, can be sarcastic, but how how human or human humanistic like the qualities they have are in terms of just like seeing uh, Gorion get killed and the tears well in their eyes and they're running and and they're just wanting to live. And so just there's so many different facets of Callius already, already in this 10 minutes of, of the introduction of the story, which is amazing. So good. Thank you. I've been working on it for basically three years nonstop. So. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I'm sorry. Do I have spare time? Is my brain not thinking about like work or something else right now? Guess what I'm thinking about? Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say I can I can certainly attest to Jesse's unwavering dedication to Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I've got I've got songs too. He does. He has some very good songs. And actually, too, what I like about this in this this setup that we have here right now, I always I I've learned as a social worker, I've learned the importance of pronouns. That's become a very you know a very uh, sub- substantial thing in our society right now, which is fantastic. Um, it's something I never thought about until you know it, it became more of a, a prolific I think thing. Um, so usually when writing these stories, it's really hard because. Uh, using like they and them pronouns a lot, it can be kind of hard to distinguish between characters when you're writing a script, at least for me personally. So I, I sometimes I have to assume what a pronoun is, uh, unless otherwise stated in the game. I try really hard to look for that. But in this instance, we can ask, uh, so Callius is your character, uh, which is fantastic, Jesse. Does is, is Callius have specific pronouns that, that they go by? Yeah, Callius just uses he, him pronouns. Cool. All right. See, I just want to make sure I ask that. So I didn't, you know, I put my mouth throughout this whole thing. (laughs) Absolutely. No, I appreciate the asking. I I can't wait. Yeah, I can't wait to hear more. I wake the next morning to find none other than Imowen standing over me. She explains that she had left Candlekeep the previous night to follow me anyway. She gives me her condolences for Gorion as I happily accept the company in this dire situation. Now with only my childhood friend and my crossbow on my back, I made my way to the Friendly Arm Inn. We met a doddering old man on the way who wore bright red robes and a pointy hat, saying he was looking for interesting conversation on the road. Odd fellow. Anyway, we arrived at the Friendly Arm Inn, much to my relief, after toiling through the dreary wilderness. It turned out traveling through the wilderness was not as rustic and inspiring as portrayed in the heroic legends. It's mostly dirt and bugs and wild animals looking for their next meal. Inside the inn, I find Khalid and Jahira, my father's friends, who welcomed me and were grateful for my safety. Khalid is a well-armored fighter, but seems a bit skittish and stutters when he talks. It's obvious he cares deeply for his wife, Jahira, a proud and confident woman with a connection to the natural world. I unfortunately had to sadden them with the news of Gorion's fate, the traumatic events of the night before still fresh in my mind. They mourn his loss and tell me they were honored to be his friends and commit themselves to my protection henceforth to honor his memory. A short distance to the north is the grand city of Baldur's Gate, surely a place to seek shelter and supplies which... I, unfortunately, then learned was closed due to recent bandit activity in the region. (sighs) 
without the city to go to, we traveled to the simple town of Beragost, where we learned that something has gone amiss in the iron mines to the south. The iron coming from the mines was rotten and corrupted. Any swords or armor built from the iron crumpled after it was forged, degrading into junk. Banditry had since increased as those who made a living off the trade of iron must now resort to stealing to make ends meet. Sensing my opportunity for heroic adventure, we set off for the town of Nashville to investigate. On the way, we met an assortment of interesting characters. One was Nera, a mage, being hunted by other mages in red robes. We assist her in fending off the Fustelarians attempting to abduct her, and she explains that she is being chased for her wild magic, which grants her spellcasting extra power with the caveat of random effects, such as summoning various farm animals or just exploding. On the road to Nashville, we fought bandits, goblins, hobgoblins, and ogres. We solved murder mysteries, rescued imperiled travelers, and thwarted dark rituals in the forest. I was now a true adventurer, just like in the stories I always read. On the road, I studied the arcane ways of the bard, crafting magics to enchant, charm, and bedazzle friend and foe alike. My new companions were much more receptive to my song-making as well, which inspired them during our rousing bouts of combat. We also found a half-orc named Dorn, a silent type who had mysterious missions of his own. His skill with the blade was impressive, so I asked him to join in our endeavors. Arriving in Nashville, the villagers there were most distraught over the condition of their minds. The mayor personally tasked us with investigating the issue and solving their problems so that the iron shortage might end. This officially meant we were on a real adventure. While my heart was heavy with Gorion's loss, I relished the opportunity to make a name for myself and make a change in the world. A towering man approached me as our group prepared to set off for the mines. Stand and deliver, so that my hamster might get a better look at you. The man introduced himself as Minsk, a ranger whose animal companion was a cute hamster named Boo, whom he talked with often. Minsk claimed that Boo was no ordinary hamster, however, but a giant miniature space hamster, and the best one at that. He told us he was on a mission to rescue his beloved friend Dinah here, who was captured by fiendish gnolls and kept in a fortress not far from here. At this point, I was very fond of this new friend and knew I had to keep him as a traveling companion. I told Minsk that we would search for his companion if he helped us discover what was corrupting the Nashkel mines. However, at this point, I knew from the epic legends I read that the optimal number of adventurers in a party was six. No more, no less. And now that we had seven, hmm, I kindly asked my dear friend Imowen, who I had known since childhood and who had rescued me in my darkest hour, to stay in Baragos. I reassured her that I would return for her as soon as I needed her again. Spoiler alert, I didn't. <laughs> can, I, can I ask what what is it about Emma when that, that Callius just doesn't seem to be jiving with too much or does uh, how does how does he actually feel I can't well, tell when, I pl when you play Emma Wynn comes up in the prologue and she's like hi I'm Emma Wynn. 
and uh, kind of has like this sort of like a little like pestery little sister vibe which you can react to either being like it's like no i'm sorry you can't come with me i'd really like to but dad said we gotta like go somewhere else and um she's she's kind of like you too that she 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 really wants to get out of candle keep she's like bored as heck here and then she she's she's the first person when you awake after the big scene of of Garion getting murdered by this mysterious armored figure it's like you know again the characters always have a voice line every time they appear so he says hi i'm Emily. and it was like she's like the first person that can be in your party so it's like okay she's with me and you start picking up some other people and um I think really what did it for me was Imowen has, um, each character has like a, a, like lines that when you click on them, they just say like, like, yes, what do you need? Or like, I'm here, or something like that. One of Imowen's that she cycles through, she's like, my, you're a queer fellow. And I'm like, excuse me, you are 100% correct, but how dare you? <laughs> and I think it's eventually just kind of looking for, you know, when you get to, when you start getting the maximum of people in your party and you have to start choosing people to cycle out, I'm like, I don't know if I need Imowen, even though actually she's a rogue and rogues have the abilities to detect and disarm traps and unlock like, you know, locked chests with good things inside of them. And I didn't have a rogue for like 90% of the game. So most of it was just my characters like, I have to send someone like Minsk with high health to go like trigger the trap and just take the damage or something. <laughs> or I had to like, I had to like painstakingly move each party member manually through like heavily trapped rooms. And I was like, oh, I could have used a rogue. At this point, I was just like, mm, bye. <laughs> I, see, I see her standing and just waving to the party as they leave. And she just is standing there. And she's like, he's not coming back. <laughs> it all works out, though. No. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. <laughs> I love that like, Callius has gained this, this experience as an adventure. And it sounds like it's building his confidence, which is really cool. Yeah. And he's also getting to, as we kind of saw through this experience, he's growing as an individual, both in his ability and his powers, becoming a bard and kind of forming who he will be in the future, but also getting to live through the experience of, you know, traveling in the wilderness, which isn't great, or, you know, having to deal with all the other things that come with being an adventurer. And and you only get so much from reading those those stories and those books and those tales, and that seems to be driving him. But when you, you know, hit some of those those real things you have to come up against, there's uh, some, some tension there. It's like he loves the tales and adventures, but then actually, like, having to, like, set up a camp in the woods and deal with, like, all the the sights and the sounds and the smells. He's like, oh no, I don't know if this is for me. <laughs> they left that out of the books. The <laughs> <laughs> like, camping always sounds cool until you go camping. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, but... I but yeah, I tried to, It's and it, I made it kind of off my, my initial uh, inspiration when joining Ryan's games where the characters had just defeated a dragon and then my character was joining. And so it's like, I knew I wanted to play like, you know, uh, you know, kind of like a typical bard. I was like, ooh, what if I had like, you know, he, lo he loves like stories and like lore and, and you know, making up like heroic songs. So it's like, what if he, he like heard about these people who like slayed the dragon and now he wants to go join them instead of just, you know, staying in bard college and you know singing songs and reading tales and, and speaking poems about big adventures but he wants to go like be a part of one cool. i like i like Kallis a lot i think it's such a good <laughs> yeah. character with a, just a great personality Kallis is not this like black and white character i love that he's so many dimensions to him already you know, I know. Really, like what a couple pages in which is fantastic great characterization already. <laughs> i'm glad you like him because as ryan can attest to he's definitely not like a self-insert at all mm -hmm. i definitely no, no, don't totally. experience anything vicariously <laughs> through callius because he's such a different like, personality for me and everything that i am and stand for so you know it's it's 
You wouldn't know it from this this incredible reading, but usually Jesse is really monotone. Doesn't have a lot of doesn't have a lot of energy in his voice, and he very seldom breaks into song. I was wondering if you're being sarcastic, and now I know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah completely. One hundred percent self insert, as as most people's first TV characters. Almost are, always, totally almost fine always. Thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> Our party descended into the deep tunnels of the Nashkill mines, ready for danger. Minst used his ranger training to scout ahead for enemies. Evil around every corner. Be careful not to step in any. Searching through carts and equipment filled with degraded iron, we eventually stumbled upon creatures that did not seem to be the miners there. From the darkness, a swarm of kobolds attacked us with spears and arrows. Little reptilian creatures with tails and bad attitudes. The kobolds fought in packs and sought to overwhelm us with their numbers. Minsk, Dawn, and Khalid clashed with the creatures head-on, giving myself and the other mages time to put our spells to work. I could put a group of kobolds to sleep, while Nera blasted the rest with missiles of magical force. Jahira was able to heal our wounds that we received in between our harried fights with her druidic abilities. We fought deeper and deeper through the treacherous tunnels, encountering dangerous and deadly traps meant to keep out intruders. Strangely enough, in the deepest part of the tunnels, we found an opulently decorated lair. A half-orc approached from inside, seeing our bloodied weapons. Tazok must have dispatched you, and my traitorous kobolds let you pass, didn't they? I knew I could not trust them. Armed as such, you've obviously been sent to kill me by Sirik. Not a measure of ore leaves these mines unspoiled, and I am still to be executed? I'll not lose my head over this. Uh, yes, fool. Tazok is is most displeased with thee. Reveal your treachery, and mayhaps he will spare you. Tazok is unfair. I have no desire to cheat him or thee. My letters will show. They are in that chest. Take them and Tazak will see. I crossed the room to open the chest and inspect the man's papers. Reading Mulahay's letters, as this man was known, his notes spoke of an organization known as the Iron Throne, a merchant outfit based in the city of Baldur's Gate. Mulahay and his kobolds seemed to be just one piece in a larger operation here. And the next piece was this... Tazok fellow that he was so worried about. While I was distracted, Mulahay drew his blade and attacked me, summoning animated skeletons to come to his aid. His sword skills were unparalleled, even besting strong fighters like Minsk and Khalid as they came to my defense. Using my new bardic techniques, however, I threw a bit of magical glitter dust in his eyes, and with his vision hampered, my companions were able to cut him down and without his magic, the skeletons fell along with him. With that battle finished, we also rescued a prisoner of Mullahay's there in the mines, an elven wizard named Zan. Now, Zan was a pessimistic fellow, who nonetheless was thankful for his freedom. Uh, he seemed a powerful spellcaster who could be useful to a party, but alas, we already had six members, which again was the optimal number for adventuring party construction. Zan mentioned that Mulahay took an object of his, and we were happy to return his super cool flaming moon sword. After a brief moment of consideration, I decided our party no longer required the services of Nera the Wild Mage, and we happily accepted Zan into our party. Nera took the news well, 
and was not deeply upset by it at all. After our success, we bravely journeyed to rescue the Lady Dinah here from the hyena-like gnolls that were fortified within an abandoned fortress. She was most grateful for the rescue and elated to reunite with her bodyguard and dear friend Minsk. She was a witch from the distant land of Rashomon and could aid us with her substantial powers over the arcane. Now, again, we came to another dilemma that required absolute attention. Minsk would not stay in our party if Dinah here could not come as well, as they were besties. But Jahira and Khalid had to be together as well, being husband and wife, of course. Dorn, the Blackguard, was an irreplaceable frontline fighter, and I would like to reiterate that Zan had a flaming moon sword. And the dilemma only worsened as we met more and more skilled and eclectic individuals as we traveled. While I gave consideration to many talented hopefuls, I ultimately settled on the five companions that would join me for our optimal party of six. First, Minsk, the rampaging ranger. He was my absolute first choice, no question. He was a brave fighter and a good friend. Plus, with Minsk came his hamster Boo, so it was like two in one. Second, Dinah here, the regal witch. Minsk refused to accompany me unless I'm here was with us, so that solidified her position in our merry band. This was not a burden, however, as Dinah's magical abilities could send fireballs raining down on our foes while also shielding us from enemy magics. Third, a Branwyn, the cleric of Tempus. When we passed by a local carnival, a man said there was a strange woman encased in stone, and he could give us the means to free her for only 500 gold pieces. Oh boy, a bit steep. I instead came back later in our adventuring career with my own stone-to-flesh scroll, freeing this woman from a fate worse than death while also being fiscally responsible. Brandwin was a priest of Tempest, the god of battles, and she came from a village where only men were allowed to be such. Her fiery spirit and healing magics made her a prime candidate to join me on my heroic expedits. Fourth, Ajantus, who was also there. Dorn the Blackguard left when he found our group to be too charitable for his liking. We needed a new frontline fighter, and Ajantus just happened to meet us on the road! And... He said because we were fighting for the sight of good, he wouldn't need to be compensated with gold for his assistance. He was hired! Fifth and finally, Rasad, the gentle monk. A man of reputable standing, Rasad always provided a moral character when I faced a tough decision, as well as a pair of swift fists when we faced a tough foe. Now, while Jahira and Khalid, my father's close friends, were disappointed to leave me, they were happy that I was with good company and let me know that I could call on them whenever I needed them. With the ultimate adventuring party in tow, we traveled north until we encountered that strange red-robed man yet again, who revealed himself to be the all-powerful wizard known as Elminster. He verbosely exposited that what I wasn't doing was, in his almighty opinion, good. I had, of course, read many a tale about the great and wise Elminster, and I, of course, asked him for any advice that the most powerful mage in the realms might give a humble bard such as me. He answered, I'm sorry I cannot speak more plainly on this matter, but events must unfold as they will without any meddling from this old man. Oh, uh, wonderful. Um, that's a, that's a, 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 a great help. Um, uh, uh, thank you. Mm. Our party 
investigated the forest known as the Peld Vale, where the evil Mulahe's notes said his boss Tazak would be. We scouted our way through the woods and eventually stumbled upon a thriving bandit camp filled with every type of misbred, weather-bitten knave one would expect to find. Gnolls, orcs, goblins, ogres, a veritable smorgasbord of villainy. Using our stealth and guile, we ambushed the bandits, striking from the shadows and catching them by surprise. Rassad's skill and dexterity as a monk left him moving swiftly through the shadows and delivering harsh punishment with his fists. Their leader's tent was large and draped with skeletons hung as trophies, or as a warning, perhaps. Tazak, revealed to be a monstrous and powerful ogre, taunted us as we entered. Rassad shouted back, I will show you justice! And while we fought valiantly, Tazok managed to escape while his henchmen battled with us. We, however, found a letter left in his tent. Tazork, I've noticed that your shipments of iron have slowed of late. It is imperative that we've received another ton of ore. Step up your raids and get a shipment to our base in Cloakwood within the next week. We need to stockpile as much ore as possible before our ultimatum is given. Also, Serebok wants to know what has happened to the band of mercenaries. Have they been killed? You had better ensure that they have been, as Serebok will not take kindly to any other news. Davayorn. First a mine, then a forest, now a mine within a forest. How many mines and forests was I going to have to battle through? Hopefully their headquarters was in the day spot of evil, or at least the well-kept manner of ill repute. And who was this Saravak fellow? Hmm. Troublesome mercenary band, it said. <gasps> Perhaps that was talking of me and my companions. <gasps> it was really happening. Word was spreading of the exploits of Callius the Humble. Oh, I was practically famous now. With this new lead, we gathered our supplies and rested before setting off for the Cloakwood. I love that Callius is Callius is Callius the humble. <laughs> yes, that was that was you've 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 figured out the joke. <laughs> I probably should have mentioned that sooner. I, I, that, was, that was that was definitely my thing when I first met him. Like his name has to be like something of the something. So I was just like, what would be fun? It'd be like, it'd be like Callius, like the I, I need. I think I wanted it to sound something like just weirdly like verbose for no reason like callius like the intrepid or something it's like what does that even mean but i was just like no the humble <laughs> that's it that's the yeah, word it works really well. <laughs> i love the party too i love your party that you set up it, it made a lot of sense it, it sounded great i'm glad you ex a lot of exposition there and explaining as to why and i loved it i loved it yeah they're a, they're a big part of the game and um since i played on the difficulty level where characters can't permanently die they just die for a bit, and then you have to trek all the way to a temple. Whether that there's like literally like three of them in the whole game, and then revive them, and then walk back to whatever you were doing. Um, <laughs> but it's like if you were playing on a one where they could permanently die, that's why there's like eighteen just like like randos that you meet in like any forest who are just like, "Hey, can I join you?" I'd be like, "Okay, maybe." So it was <laughs> this was this was kind of the point of like mixing and matching. Is there's like also a lot of side quests going on, but obviously you know can't add three more hours to the script as fun as that would be. There's like a lot of other like wacky and crazy characters. There's like a there's like a megalomaniacal like gnome who wants to like take over the world. There's um there's other like 
your classic like seductive barbs. There's like, you know, evil paladins. Like the evil characters will leave you if you're too good. And I imagine the good characters will leave if you're too evil. One of the things that I think we don't always get to enjoy, and I think because we know Callias is the character more than I think we know a lot of the other characters who get to portray in these experiences. I really love knowing Callias and knowing who he is as a person. You can see the embellishments and you can see these tales weaved in a very specific way that just kind of even further create Callias as this as this solid character who has these wants and desires is ultimately doing good for the world. But as we just saw in that last paragraph, also has this alternative like drive to be known and to be and to be wanted in the world and to be cared about in the world and be known in the world that then is kind of helps us reframe the entire narrative in a really interesting way. Yeah, in fifth edition of Dungeons and Dragons, you get to pick like your characters, like personality traits, their ideals, their bonds, and their flaws. I forget off the top of my head if it's his ideal or his flaw. I think it's his flaw. <laughs> that is, uh, I want to become famous at any cost. <laughs> or I will. It's like I will do anything to become famous. It's basically that. So that's his, that's one of his like core. Discord things that often ensues in hilarity in our regular games. We fought our way through monsters and bandit patrols until we found the Cloakwood Mines. We even met the famed ranger Dristo Erden on the way. He was one of the most famous heroes alive. Oh, it was a brilliant moment, but cut short by our urgent purpose. We dispatched the guards at the mine after finding the entrance, and inside... We found enslaved workers toiling through the tunnels, collecting precious iron, uncorrupted. These people had been kidnapped and put to work by a notorious group of bandits we found known as the Black Talons. Stealthily defeating the remaining guards and heading deeper into the sub-levels of the mine, we stumbled upon a massive enchanted plug in the walls that one of the miners told us was still built into the nearby river which gave me an idea. We freed the enslaved peoples who told us that the key to the river plug was kept by the leader of this operation, Daviorn. We descended further into the mines, fighting stronger bandits, an ogre mage, and vicious spellcasters, a force much more powerful than any standard bandit operation. On the bottom level, we were greeted by a haughty and arrogant mage, along with his personal guard. Why have you come? Is it to steal my riches, or perhaps you seek to righteously punish me for my affront to your morality? It matters little, for you will do neither. Before I dispose of you in some horribly gruesome manner, perhaps I should introduce myself. I am known as Daviorn. I would ask you for your names, but I care little to become acquainted with the dead. With a flourish of his dark robes, Davion flung bolts of arcing lightning towards us, accompanied by exploding fireballs as his guards ran in with blades in hand. Branwyn's sense of justice fueled her against this smug bastard as she dashed towards him without fear. Tempus, grant us victory! With Branwyn's bravery, well-timed illusions, and a wand of monster summoning, I found. Davion and his minions fell, just like all the rest. I even got some nice boots of speed from one of his minions. Oh, how fun. With the last of the Black Talon bandits cleared out, we took Davion's key to the magical gate plugging the hole to the river. We caused the magic to fade, and rushed out of the mines before they flooded completely once again as they had in the past. Ending the Iron Thrones operation there, I took stock of our findings in this scheme so far. Mulahay 
followed orders from Tazok. Tazok took orders from Davion, and Davion, as we saw from his notes, took orders from someone named Rielta Ankev, a member of the Iron Throne Merchant Company in Baldur's Gate. Hopefully, with the Iron Crisis averted and the bandit threat disposed of, we would now be granted access to the city. We traveled to Worms Crossing, the bridge that led to Baldur's Gate, where we were approached by a man I recognized as a member of the Flaming Fist, the mercenary group that functioned as guards for the city. The man introduced himself as Scar, and inquired as to our party's involvement in the recent events here on the Sword Coast. I, of course, told him that we were in fact responsible for the heroic deeds of late, and the dispatching of the villainous influences plaguing the land. Well, I have to say you've made quite the commotion up here in Butler's Gate. I can't really put my finger on a single source, but there have been many strange happenings going on within the city. It's been getting harder and harder for me to put my trust in someone. I need outsiders to do some investigating. People with no connection to anyone in the city. Would you be interested in working for me in such a capacity? He told us he was concerned about his friend Josso, who was the leader of another merchant operation in the city known as the Seven Sons. While I knew the Iron Throne was the greatest threat, I knew that helping the city guard could earn us a valuable reputation in the city that we could use to our advantage later. My companions and I agreed to check on Scar's friend for him, and we entered the city of Baldur's Gate. I had never been to a true city before, and the experience was breathtaking, and not just because this was also my first time encountering an urban sewer system. Inns, taverns, temples, and stores bustled with crowds laughing and screaming and chatting. The roads were busy with travelers and city folk. Finally, we had found some place with a suitably sized audience for my talents. The ever-mysterious Elminster appeared yet again to greet us to this marvelous city. He revealed that he once knew my father, Garion, but warned of bad blood that flowed within me. He failed to elaborate any further, so I left the old coot to continue on our mission. We entered the Seven Sons building and chatted up some of the merchants present to gather information. The people there seemed like the regular sort that would be in such a place, and nothing else seemed to be out of the ordinary. No demon portals, no sacrificial altars, just all the facets of merchant negotiation and trade. When I inquired about Josso, however, the merchants and employees seemed to skirt around the subject and give vague answers. Most suggested that Josso had left town for a business deal in the country of Arm and would not be back for quite some time. I didn't buy what these people were selling, however, and decided to employ my own inconspicuous sleuthing skills to determine the veracity of their statements. My companions and I carefully snuck into the building's basement where we found a man trapped in a prison. It was Josso! We set about freeing him when the merchants we spoke to came down the stairs behind us. They kindly informed us that we would be taking an extended stay here at the Seven Sons building. They moved in towards us, closing us in, but Minsk charged forward with a blade in his hand and a hamster on his shoulder. Go for the eyes, boo! Go for the eyes! Rawr! He swiftly cut down one of the merchants. Their body, however, seized and sputtered on the ground as its shape twisted into a vague notion of a human. These were not real merchants, but doppelgangers. 
The remaining assailants revealed their true forms with leathery gray skin, long, thin arms, and featureless faces with gaping mouths. We fought through the shape changers and cleared out all the doppelgangers in the building. Once the bloody work was done, we freed Josso and returned to the Flaming Fist headquarters to inform Scar of his friend's safety. Scar thanked us for our work and requested that we attend an audience with Duke Elton, leader of the Flaming Fist and one of the Council of Four that ruled over Baldur's Gate. Not wasting the chance to get in touch with the height of nobility, I gladly accepted the offer on behalf of our group. We were quickly escorted to Duke Elton directly. He was firm and brief in his greetings and got right to the point. He wanted us to investigate the Iron Throne, as he has been suspicious of their dealings within the city, and suspected them to be behind what happened at the Second Sun's building. We wasted no time with the Duke's request and headed for the Iron Throne building itself, a massive tower near the docks of the city. We entered the building, acting as if to conduct business, and gleaned what information we could from the workers there. We learned that the Iron Throne's leadership, including Rialtar, had recently departed from the city to attend business negotiations in none other than Candlekeep, my very home. Shocked by the mention of my, my childhood home, I was forced to flee and... No. Shocked by the mention of the home, I was forced to flee and the painful memories of Garion. Our party left and returned to report to Duke Elton. The Duke commanded that we follow the Iron Throne leaders to Candlekeep and discover their plans, giving us a history of the Nether Scrolls, just the kind of rare book we would need to gain entrance to Candlekeep. With a wave of his arms, Duke Elton used the magics at his own disposal to teleport us directly to Candlekeep. Once my eyes adjusted to the daylight and the magical vertigo wore off, I looked upon the walls of Candlekeep that I had left just weeks prior. I gave the book from the Duke to the guard at the entrance gates, and they escorted us into the fortress. We were taken directly to the main keep, which functioned as the library of Candlekeep, housing countless tomes on histories, legends, and knowledge. We walked in quietly, looking for anyone suspicious, careful not to draw too much attention to ourselves. Well, dip me in broth and call me stewed, if it isn't Callius. Well, I haven't seen you for nearly, um, quite some time, anyway. Uh, Theodon, a sage as old as my father, recognized me. Oh, hello, Theodon. How have you been? I still remember you running around the keep in your little swaddling clothes, pestering the elders and spooking the cows. Ain't that right, Jessup? Surely was. Yes, of course. You never did stay in those rags of yours long. Uh, Yes, yes, of course. Uh, but how have you been? You'd be naked as a jaybird in the moment someone turned their back on you. I remember the day that fellow Blackstaff came floating in there and you were tearing around Outer Keep with Gorion hot on your trail. Took the cloak right off his back. You did, and made yourself just the cutest little... Yes, 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 I, I remember. Could we drop it, please? How have you been? Wait, wait, I remember it all now. There was there was Kelvin Blackstaff trying his hardest to look important while you ran through the stables with his cape, tied around your waist. Such a lark, eh, Jessup? I thought I'd catch my death from laughing, I did. You and me both. Grind was shaking like a leaf. He was so mad. Mm, yes, yes, of course. Uh, as fun as this has been, I should really be going. Nobody was sure what to do. And then Keblon mutters some words and catches you by the scruff of your neck with some sort of spectral hand. He hauls you out and drops you right in front of him. 
grabbing his filthy cape in the process. Everyone was scared they were, weren't they, Jessup? Sure enough, scared witless. Yep, and old Kelbon busts out with the biggest laugh you ever heard. Everyone in the keep was laughing like mad. Except you, Callius. You just stood there naked as the day you were born and wondering what the fuss was all about. I tell you, those were the days. Uh, um, yes, I, I think I'll be going now. I quickly ducked away from Theodon to head further into the library, but I was not a dozen steps further until Karen, another monk who has lived here far longer than I, approached me. With all the encounters with shape changes recently, I wasn't sure who I could trust anymore. But the concern on Karen's face seemed sincere enough, and I asked him if he had seen anything strange about. Strange? Why, yes. That's just the word I would have used for that Culver's fellow. He was right here beside me, taking Alondo's prophecies from their place on the shelf and reading them. I can hear his voice, but when I turn and steal a glance at him from the corner of my eye, it was the strangest thing. His eyes were closed, and he was reading page after page, as if from memory. He heard your footsteps, it seems, and wandered off. Hmm. In all our exploits, we had not heard of a Kovaros being involved with the Iron Throne, but he was here now with them. Karen seemed amazed that this man knew Alondo's prophecies by memory. Hmm, Alondo, that ancient seer that the chanters never stopped blathering about. What involvement could those old prophecies have here? With those questions still scratching at my mind, we went to the second floor of the keep. I kept my head on a swivel for any sign of the Iron Throne's leadership. Nothing seemed to be happening here, so I made my way to the third floor. Ah, uh, I thought I might find you somewhere around here. A man unfamiliar to me approached. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Kovaros. I used to work for your father, running a messages to his friends in Waterdeep. Before he passed on, he entrusted this ring to me and asked that I give it to you. Should evil ever befall him, will you take it? Hmm. I was suspicious. And what evil befell him, Kovaras? You were there. You saw it all. A woman, an armored figure, two ogres wielding clubs, and two archers. But Gorion's petty magic was of little use against them, was it not? And you, you fled with your tail between your legs, hiding amidst the trees until dawn broke. And now it comes full circle, doesn't it? The Iron Throne, so close that you can almost touch them and wreck your revenge for that night. You're right, Kovaras. I was there. Myself, my father, and six others who tried to kill us. Where were you, if you know so much? If you be so void of trust, I'm surprised that you have made it this far. It is of little matter. Go seek your vengeance or your doom at the hand of the Iron Throne. I wash my hand of it. He left before I could question him further. I found my hands shaking after he described the night of my father's murder in such detail. My companions comforted me and reminded me of our mission here. We could deal with this Kovaras fellow later. We hurried to the third floor, where I spotted the familiar uniforms I had seen of the Iron Throne when we visited their base in Baldur's Gate. There was some kind of meeting taking place in one of the side rooms. Without thinking, I rushed in. My dear sir, you must realize that it is manners that make the man. So would you kindly prove that you are one by leaving? The right people cannot afford to be rude, but this is not you. Leave now, before my rate companion Brunos lets his temper get ahead of his reason. This must have been Rialtar, the leader. I recognized him from his, uh, disdainful temperament. You're the leaders of the Iron Throne. We're the ones who've caused you so much trouble over these past few weeks. We know what you're all about, and soon so will Duke Elton. You're the... and you're stupid enough to admit this. 
Well, my friend, you may find safety within the library, but once you've left, there'll be no place for you to run. We'll leave, but don't think this is the last of it. It won't be. Not by a long shot. I stormed out of their meeting. I know we could have killed them if we wanted to. We were armed, we were powerful, but it didn't feel right to just kill them here. Candlekeep has been free from violence since its very founding, and I had already seen enough death. I thought of what Garayan would do. I found a place on the higher floors to sit and collect myself. My companions came to console me. Branwen said, You are a strong warrior. I respect that, Dinahir said. Thy decency is refreshing when so many we meet are lacking. Ajantus chimed in, You are a man of honor. I respect your integrity, Rasad said. We walk the path of heroes. And last but certainly not least, Mince told me, it has been too long since Minsk has traveled with such a fine companion. <sighs> Heartened by their words, another one of my former tutors, a man named Piotto, recognized me and came forward. He noticed my poor demeanor and said I was free to use my father's old room here in the keep to rest. The old man also told me that my father had left something for me as well. He kindly guided me there and unlocked the chest of my father's belongings. Besides a decent-sized coin purse was a single letter addressed to me by my father. It read, Hello, Callius. If you're reading this, it means I have met an untimely death. I would tell you not to grieve me, but I feel much better thinking that you would. There are things that I must tell you in this letter that I might have told you before. However, if my death came too soon, then I would never have been given the chance. First off, I am not your biological father. For that distinction lies with an entity known as Baal. The Baal that I speak of is the one you know of as divinity. In the crisis known as the Time of Troubles, when the gods walked Faerun, Baal was forced into a mortal shell. He was somehow forewarned of the death that awaited him during this time. For reasons unknown to me, he sought out women of every race and forced himself upon them. Your mother was one of those women, and as you know, she died in childbirth. I had been her friend, and on occasion, lover. I felt obligated to raise you as my own. I always thought of you as my child, and I hope you still think of me as your father. You are a special child. The blood of gods runs through your veins. If you make use of our extensive library, you'll find that our founder, Alando, has many prophecies concerning the coming of the spawn of Baal. There are many who will want to use you for their own purposes. One, a man who calls himself Saravak, is the worst danger. He studied here in Candlekeep, and thus knows a great deal about your history and who you are. Gorion. I stared blankly at the words. Read them again. Another time. My biological father was the god of murder? Those, those prophecies the chanters were always droning on about were about me? Alondo, that motherfucker! I felt it hard to regain my composure at such news. I hurried to leave the library and find some fresh air to calm myself, but instead found a squad of guards surrounding me outside my father's chambers. You there! Stop and surrender yourself! You are accused of murdering the men Brunos Kostak, Thaldorn Tenevich, and Realtar Ankev. If you give yourself up now, you will be assured of a fair trial. What? The leaders of the Iron Throne had been murdered? I had seen them just minutes ago and, and left them unharmed. 
I asked on what basis I was suspected of such a foul deed. You were seen fleeing the site of the murder by the guest known as Kovaros. Blast! We had been framed. But there was no way out now. Resisting would only lead to more unnecessary bloodshed. So we surrendered, and our party was taken to a group cell by the guards. We were accused of being assassins in employ of the neighboring country of Arm, and told that we would be sent back to Baldur's Gate for our punishment. Luckily, Tefteril, another monk who was close to my father and kind to me as a child, came in to see us. Hello, young one. I am sorry to see thee in such terrible circumstances. I know thee well enough to know that you have been falsely accused. Tomorrow, you will most likely be sentenced to be sent to Baldur's Gate. There, thou, would, thou wouldst receive the death penalty for these actions. I know that Gorion would not want to see his only child killed a scant few weeks after his own death. Tis as a favor and to his tis as a favor to his memory that I will help thee escape. Make thy way through the catacombs beneath the library, but disturb them not. I have your possessions with me. You must and you must take them and go with haste. Before we left, I asked Tethteril if he knew of the strange man named Kovaros who had been in the keep. I know of no one named Kovaros. But Kovaros is the reverse of Seravak, a young man who accompanied the leaders of the Iron Throne when they first came. I know not where he has gone. Son of a... No! No! There is, there is absolutely no way that I fell for the man behind all of this and the murder of my father coming right up to me and me not noticing just because he told me his own name backwards! While I screamed in rage, Tethril teleported us with his magic into the catacombs beneath Candlekeep. We delved deep into the dark stone corridors until old Felidia, the forgetful mage, stumbled upon us in this dreary place. Her face carried a hatred and a bitter anger I had never seen from the kindly woman before. My book! You stole my book, you cur! <laughs> Suddenly her form changed into the fleshy, elongated body of a doppelganger, and my companions managed to defend me before the creature's horrid claws dug into my flesh. Shaken, we continued down the halls. Young Drepin, tender of the cows, appeared before us. A sour malice darkened his face as he pointed an accusing finger at me. Poison Nessa, have you? And to think I would have let this keep with the likes of you, fleshling. Another doppelganger wearing the face of one I once knew. We slew this beast as well as the first. Then Fuller, one of the guards I knew, approached. Fetch boats, I said. I shall turn you like my boots clean, you mound of flesh. Then my old tutor Karen, who I had just seen in the library. Dullard. Insolent waif. I tried to instruct you, tried to make you wise, but it was like drawing compassion from a bandit. You are nothing, child, and soon you become much less. We cut each of them down, revealing a mirror fiend behind each familiar face. I ran through the dusty catacombs, looking for an exit from this nightmare. At the end stood three more figures. Elminster, the great wizard. Tefteril, my friend, who freed me and my friends. And father. With them was Gorion, alive and well. Was this a trick as well? 
Elminster spoke to me. Callus the humble, stop this madness, child, I beg of thee. Thou hast soaked these halls the blood of innocence, and I cannot permit it to go further. Reveal your true nature, doppelganger. You are no more Elminster than I am Drist the Drow. And Drist thou art not, thank goodness. As for this old ragtag physique, thinkest thou that I'd let anyone duplicate it without express permission? I have it copyrighted, thou must know. Come, poor soul, let us leave this darkness behind and struggle towards the light. The three of us shall guide thee. What about the one that wears the face of my stepfather like a mask? I know him for dead, and only a miracle would haunt me so. It's okay, Callius, it's all right. I didn't die that night, nor have I yet. That blade you thought slew me had been treated with magical poison. It left me, a living soul, and a lively mind, imprisoned in a body that gave all the appearances of death. That man you saw that night is called Severok, and he has been in the keep for three days, past the reverse Elias, Kovaros. Yes, I know! Don't remind me. Tetril kept watching him, but in our foolishness, we never thought that he might have others with him. Please, child, I've loved you too much to lose you now. Elmister and I suspected it for some time. With Severok away from his lair, Elmister has been... Elmister was at last able to locate your stepfather and bring him to safety. Forgive me, Callius. I should have told you earlier, but I raise your hopes only to have seen them dashed into pieces all over again. There is too much heart left in this bony cage for me to have done that. Please, child, sheath those weapons and sheath thy madness too. Come with us, and we shall see thee at last to safety. You said that these walls were soaked with innocent blood. Then who was it that chased me down those wretched halls, calling my name in voices I once knew, only to close and attack in traitorous form? By all that is good, Callias, what have they done to your mind to haunt it so? Your old friend Drepin lies tangled in his own entrails, and foolish Philidia, she ran down here to offer a mother's shoulder, and you've butchered her like a monster you perceive her to be. The gods have no mercy on we ragged mortals, it appears. I am a doddering and elderly fool for having let it come to this. There I stood, Elmister the arrogant, nudging and prodding but never taking action. The most powerful mage in the realms reduced to a meager puppeteer. Listen closely, Gallius the Humble. With the help of the doppelgangers and some powerful magics, Savrok has encased thee within a vast and frightening illusion. I was unsure if I ever could have penetrated it to reach thee. The time has come for a leap of faith, child. Thou must fling aside this foul illusion, and let us lead thee back to reality where Severok is fightable. Here was the most powerful spellcaster in the land, along with my father, alive, offering salvation. I could be free of this horror and kept safe from the villains of this world. But I was a bard. And not to brag, being humble and whatnot, I was a freaking good bard. And I knew how to spot a dedicated, committed, and artful performance. Whoever this was, they knew the marks to hit, and they knew their parts well, and played them with both depth and accuracy. But it was, alas, only a performance, not reality. If this is madness, then leave me to it. If you flee now, I shall not attempt to kill you. The kind concern on Elminster's face, uh, the kind concern on Elminster's wrinkled face sloughed away, revealing only a contemptful scorn beneath. Psst, then fleshling, go mad if you will, and feel the rasp of our claws against your mind. Elminster, Tethtril, and even my father Garine each melted into their true forms. The doppelgangers hissed and lunged for us, but I already had my crossbow knocked and put a bolt between each of their eyes before they managed to reach us. Left with the echoes of their inhuman screams, 
we move past them towards the end of the catacombs. In the final hallway, a lone figure emerged from the darkness. I could not see what face they wore, but I heard their voice. My hotel is as clean as an elven arse! Winthrop's plump form sauntered forward, a lopsided grin on his face. Lost your sense of humor, have ye? Aye, I've heard what you've been telling all your little friends, that old Winthrop has a hankering for a little elven arse every now and then. <laughs> Come here, my pretty, and I'll soon change your mind. The doppelganger swung its claws at me before my crossbow was ready, knocking it out of my hands. Dinah here summoned an arcane shield to protect me, and blasted the creature with her scorching hands. Suffer the wrath of the arcane! Doom draws close to thee! While the creature tried breaking through the mystical barrier, I ran it through with my rapier. It twitched on the ground as it gasped out one final awful moan. With the last of the doppelgangers finished, the catacombs opened into a series of caves. We found more of Saravok's men, sent to make sure we didn't leave Candlekeep. Tired and wounded, we fought a hard battle with these elite mercenaries until they lay defeated as well. Exhausted, we scrambled out of the caves into the daylight, forced to flee Candlekeep as wanted murderers. What a roller coaster of emotion that all was just this now. Is, this is like the big, it's the really nice, like, you know, what, like the darkness of the soul moment that shows. The reveal and then the counter reveal and then the counter reveal on the reveal. Yeah. Because in that whole section, it's all the same people you met in the tutorial. And they turn out to be, you know, these doppelganger monsters. And it raises this whole question, like, were, were those people I met in the tutorial also doppelgangers? Or did these creatures just come here? You know, are they dead now? Because yeah. unfortunately, you have to leave Candlekeep and you, you don't get to go back. So you don't get to, like, verify. Like, is, is actual Winthrop still there telling everyone his hotel is as clean as Melmanar's? I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're killing all these people who look like, you know, your old friends and people you knew as you grew up. That's when Elminster... Garion and Teftril come up. Well, shit, I've met some doppelgangers, I've met some real people, and, like, they're really good at gaslighting you. I was really impressed, like, because <laughs> they're really, they're playing on the heartstrings. Like, I love you, please, come with us, we don't want you. It's like, they're playing on, you know, taking the truth of sort of what was happening. It's like, yes, we know there's been doppelgangers and Saravok is powerful magics, but it's all an illusion. And, but then they're still really insidious, trying to convince you that you just murdered real people. They're like, you killed Drepin and Flidia! Like, it's awful, they're dead now! And it's like, no, I, no, I didn't, I don't think so. And, <laughs> <laughs> and then my instinct was still like, no, they, they're playing too hard. These are not real people. And so that, that great moment where Elminster finally breaks and he's like, well, then, you know, screw you. We tried. <laughs> the beautiful fact that after that, after that confrontation, as you're playing, you've just done that whole thing. Then you go to the next room. And then you hear the, my hotel's as clean as an elven art. It's like they saved him. Like he's technically the final boss of that section, which I thought was a very, a very well done, like comedic little, little button they put on the end of that, like nightmarish segment. Oh, of all the characters I was expecting to come out of the shadows, it wasn't Winthrop that came to my mind. It really funny. But also, maybe the scariest character yeah. to come out of the shadows. Yeah, it's still kind of unsettling when he just walks towards you shouting that. I mean, also, Callius just found out he is the son of the god of yes. murder. 
right? So now all of this is in your mind as you're going through this experience. Did I just kill those people? Like, did I actually, knowing who I am, what is going on? What what has changed about me? What does that mean yeah. for me as a character? And it's interesting because it, it's very possible to miss that letter that Gorion writes to you. Like, if you if you take a, a choice where you, d you do decide to uh, kill the Iron Throne leaders there, which you can certainly do, um, then you're unable to get to the floor where you could find that letter because you get arrested right away. Um, so I was I was trying to think back where else you learn that information, but I wasn't sure where. But I did like that. I, I liked for Callius that narrative where he finds this letter written to him by his dad for after yeah. he was dead, and he just kind of lays it out there. It's like, yep, that's what happened. And it's like, it's like what? What? Oh my, everything I do was a lie. And so it's it was just a really interesting way to do it and it, it is that really big nice twist yeah yeah it is a really cool part because i feel like a lot of, there's a lot of character growth going on and like through this challenge it's very trying challenge in terms of you know Callius really has to focus on it. are these people real or not and and you know really honing in on that which i mean he obviously does well to figure out that they're a doppelganger so but i'm sure that's a really hard thing to go through seeing your this your you know father alive and to question everything like that would quite you know, i would question everything in that situation i mean it brings out a real human quality while the flaming fist would be searching for us for the murder of the iron throne leaders the lair of our accusers was in baldur's gate so we traveled back to the city we found a man willing to smuggle us into the city in exchange for coin once inside we moved with caution about the city streets looking out for any flaming fist guards or others who might recognize us despite my best efforts however my bursting reputation and dazzling good looks made me far too noticeable to the Flaming Fist, who were on orders to arrest me. Halt and hold. You stand accused of murdering most foul. You will lay down your arms and come with us, or by order of Angelo Dosen, you will be killed where you stand. Such is his order, and I cannot alter it. It is your choice. I am innocent, and I shall not submit myself to the judgment of this Angelo. Scar is your proper superior. That may be so, but Scar is dead, and Angelo is his proper replacement. We in ranks have no other choice but to obey his orders. Suspect though they may be, you must decide. Submit and face judgment, or fight here and die. I have no choice, but you do. I have no wish to fight you. I am no murderer, and I welcome the chance to prove it. A wise decision. I will have to. F I will have a fair chance to defend yourself. You will have a fair chance to defend yourself, regardless of how convinced of your guilt Angelo is. This way. We were taken in chains to the Flaming Fist headquarters, where we were paraded in front of this Angelo, likely a man in the pocket of Seravok in the Iron Throne. The new commander of the Fist stood before us, his head held high with pride, basking in his authority like a new perfume. So. They're the infamous murderers, finally brought to justice. I am Angelo, commander of the Flaming Fist. I will be your judge, jury, and executioner. Please pardon the cliché. You aren't the commander of the Flaming Fist. That title belongs to Duke Elton, someone who deserves it. You're a pretender, and a rather ugly and smelly one at that. A lobotomized gibberling would make a better leader than you. <laughs> now that we are done with all these pleasantries, I will make my decision. <laughs> I had thought hard and long on what sentence I should give you if you should be delivered into my hands. The choice is an obvious one. 
for the charges of murder, theft, arson, tax evasion, and many other assorted crimes, I declare that each of you shall be taken to the bazaar, where you shall where you shall hang by the neck until you are dead. Without another word, we were taken to languish in our cells. Another person, across from my cell, a halfling man named Neb, boasted excitedly about his many murders, recalling them in gruesome detail. He talked eagerly to me as if we were friends. When I asked why a murderer like him would be so chummy, he said it was because we were brothers of murder, both stained with the blood of the innocent. I paid this man no heed, as I committed no such crimes. But he must have picked up on my reluctance, as he mentioned a way of getting out of the prison. He had made a secret tunnel, but hidden it, and would only let me pass through if I answered a riddle of his. If you look at me, we shall look at each other. You with eyes... It's a mirror, I said. You didn't let me finish! Yes, but I was right, though, wasn't I? Neb huffed in frustration and begrudgingly let me and my companions through his tunnel. Once we were freely back in the city, we spoke to any vigils we could about the state of the city, and leads on how we could topple the Iron Throne. We heard Duke Elton was still alive but had been poisoned. Contacts still loyal to him in the Flaming Fist informed us that he had been poisoned, and the healer assigned to his recovery was a suspicious fellow. We broke back into the Flaming Fist barracks and confronted this healer, who was revealed to be yet another doppelganger. Duke Elton, gracious to our heroic efforts, requested we take him to a secure location and then investigate the Iron Throne at their headquarters again. Once Duke Elton was safe, we headed straight for the Iron Throne and found the place in a bit of an uproar. Many of the merchants there, who thankfully didn't recognize us, shouted and complained about their disgust for Saravok. Their business transactions had ceased. Their assets were frozen. If the merchant outfit was collapsing, what was Saravok's true plan then? Was the Iron Throne merely the means to some fouler end? While we questioned the merchants as they packed their things to leave, a woman hailed our party and asked our purpose there. I could see the sharp intent in her look, and she introduced herself as Sithandria, and summoned two ogres with a spell before we could ready our weapons. Two uh, dead ogres later, uh, and Sithandria begged us for mercy, and we spared her life. In return, she revealed that she had been working closely with Saravok, and gave us an item of significant value. His diary. Swiftly reading through the pages, the diary chronicled the Iron Throne's plans, fabricating the Iron Crisis, taking over the Cloakwood Mines, and even his journeys to Candlekeep long before Garion's murder. Rieltar was Saravok's adopted father, and the relationship between the two was strained. It made sense now that Saravok would have Rieltar murdered. He also writes that he, too, is descended from the blood of Baal, god of murder, just as I am. That meant that, technically speaking, we were half-brothers. The thought made my skin crawl and my stomach squirm. He seemed to worship Baal and, wait, no, he wanted to become the next Lord of Murder. Somehow he was planning to cause death on a godlike scale. Saravok believed Gorion discovered his heritage, and he found out about me as well. That's why he sought to have both Gorion and I killed. Gorion knew his secret, and I was just a challenger to his birthright. We continued 
to investigate throughout the city, and word was quickly spreading about the coronation of a new duke, as Duke Entar Silvershield had been assassinated recently. Rumor was it that a rising star in the city, a man named Saravok, had valiantly contributed weapons and armor from the Iron Throne during the Iron Crisis, and was set to be instituted as a new Duke of the city. Others gossiped about rising tensions with the neighboring nation of Arm and possible war on the horizon. Saravok as Duke would have the power to declare war on Arm, death on a godlike scale. We needed to get into that coronation. But without invitations, we would be attacked by the guards, surely. With Saravok cultivating enough popularity to be named a duke of the city, the disapproval of the nobility and the populace could be just as deadly to us as Saravok's blade. We needed to destroy his reputation and show the people of Baldur's Gate the truth. Duke Elton, still recovering from his poisoning, pointed us in the direction of Duke Silvershield's assassins a duo named Slythe and Kristen, who worked for Saravok. We skulked through the city sewers to find the hidden entrance to their hideout, a brothel in the Undercity. We confronted the pair, who confidently boasted of our imminent demise, as these sorts were wont to do, and announced their plans to remove the rest of the dukes to make way for Saravok's unimpeded rule. We dispatched the assassins in a bloody showdown, taking invitations to the coronation off of their corpses. With no time to waste, we hurried to the nearest tailor in the city to acquire the proper attire for the coronation. Oh, if I was going to walk into the Ducal Palace and publicly disgrace my arch-nemesis, I was going to do it in style, damn it. With authentic invitations in hand, we were admitted into the coronation ceremony at the Ducal Palace, looking absolutely fabulous, I must say. Duke Belt presided over the ceremony along with the Duke Janath. These were the last two dukes in between Saravok and his complete rule. I kept a keen eye on the other nobles gathered. Saravok himself stood just next to the dukes, clad in the same terrifying armor he wore the night that he ambushed us and killed Gorion. I steadied myself and held firm, waiting for my moment. Duke Janath spoke. As all of you know, this is a special occasion for the city of Baldur's Gate. It is time for a new person to join the ranks of the Grand Dukes. I do not wish to downplay the tragedy that we have suffered, the loss of Entar Silver Shield, but this is not the time for us to show grief. A unanimous tally in the landowner's vote cemented Saravok's position as a Duke of Baldur's Gate. The nobles present spoke up with rising concerns. What was Duke Elton's condition? Why wasn't the city preparing for war with the nation of Arm? How will the city get the iron it needs after the recent shortage? Some believed that Arm had sent shadow thieves to kill Duke Silvershield. A story to cover up Saravok's involvement and to stir tensions with Arm. Duke Belt silenced the bickering nobles. Then Saravok spoke. He went on to reaffirm the nobles' false suspicion of Arm's actions and blamed the criminal network known as the Zintarum for the iron shortage, another lie. Saravok assured them, however, that the Iron Throne has a considerable stockpile of iron to lend to the city for any military conflicts. He also announced that he would be taking control of the Flaming Fist in the city. Duke Belt stepped forward, declaring that that was not within Saravok's authority. The nobles shouted Duke Belt down. 
Saravok stepped forward and proclaimed that now was the time to bring the war to arm, starting with the town of Nashkel, whose people we had saved from Saravok's cronies. I am honored to be here before such a respected assemblage of noble men. I accept my new position with full awareness to my new responsibilities, and I will have many of them. Before I or any others could object, the rowdy nobles shifted and transformed, revealing themselves to be more doppelgangers. They screamed and slashed their claws towards Duke's Janathan belt. Seizing the moment, my companions and I heroically dashed forth to defeat these usurping creatures, saving the two Dukes. The armored villain Saravok stood there, pretending to be shocked at the sudden attack. Before Saravok himself could stop me, I ran to Duke Belt and begged him to look at incriminating evidence I had against Saravok. Quickly composing himself from the assassination attempt, Duke Belt warned me that such punishments for false accusations were quite severe. I handed him Saravok's diary which detailed his plans from starting the Iron Crisis to framing me for murder to ascending to godhood. Saravok saw what I had and shouted, Angelo, those people are the ones wanted on multiple accounts of murder. Kill them! These people are not to be touched until I have finished reading these documents. You don't need to read that document, but since I know you're too stupid to take my advice, I'll just take your head. Saravok drew his blade, eyeing Duke Belt with a sinister glare. I blocked Saravok from his intended goal and locked blades with him. The Flaming Fist came to my aid as well, defending the Dukes. Saravok's blows were swift and powerful, but I used my speed to dodge and parry his brutal strikes. His impenetrable armor protected his body, only revealing his eyes filled with bloodlust. He lifted his sword above his head to swing down at me, the same way he struck down Garayan that fateful night. Before the blade fell, I threw a handful of glitter dust into his eyes. And as he yelled and tried to claw his sight free from within his helm, I said back to him, Prepare to die, you impertinent, flap-mouthed hugger-mugger. I found an opening and pierced true with my rapier. Saravok reeled, clutching his wound. You and I are not finished yet, Callius the Humble. I'll kill you, just as I killed Golryon. The only way you'll ever live in peace is if you kill me first. And with that ultimatum, he vanished within a magical dimension door. Duke Belt rushed to thank us for our help, and with the help of his own god, he divined the location Saravok had teleported to. With his own divine abilities, Duke Belt quickly teleported us to the Thieves' Guild where Saravok had gone. Appearing inside of the hideout of the Thieves' Guild, we rushed to follow Saravok, who had fled deep into the cellars. Below the guild was a massive maze filled with soul-melting horrors and deathly precise traps. A quick incantation from Dinah here allowed her to see the entirety of the maze, revealing the correct path for us. What? The man who murdered my father and then framed me for murder escapes into a death trap maze, and I'm supposed to simply do it fairly? <laughs> no thanks. Branwyn used Tempest's blessing to sense the traps in the maze before we sprang them, and Minsk and Ajantus fought head-to-head -head with the Doom Knights of the maze, while the rest of us harried them with spells and crossbow bolts. Once through the maze, we entered into a ruined city left beneath Baldur's Gate. Within the decrepit buildings loomed a large temple decorated with skulls. We fought 
through undead monstrosities to reach the temple, and the last of Saravak's fanatical followers. We breached the large metal doors to the temple and entered to confront Saravak himself. The symbol of Baal was inscribed within the floor of the temple, a skull encircled with bloody tears. Giant statues of robed figures wielding scythes looked down upon us. At the far end of the temple, standing atop the altar, flanked by his henchmen, was Saravak. You are indeed family. No other could have lived to oppose me in person. Of course, it will not matter in the end. Ultimately, I will prevail, and a new era will be born unto the realms. You are mad! What do you hope to gain by resurrecting a dead god? Father Baal is dead, but the slaughter I will orchestrate shall prove me to be his most worthy successor. I will raise his power from the ashes. Streets will run red with blood when my work is finished. Successor? Deities are not known for sharing their power willingly. Fool! I do not wish to restore his power, merely to raise it. With the divine blood that flows through these veins, I shall assume control over that which he so foolishly lost. I shall become Baal. That is the only acceptable outcome. All that is left is for us to end this in a manner befitting our heritage. Face me. Face the new lord of murder. Now, rumors you may have heard of this fated battle may have told you that after exchanging a harrowing barrage of powerful magics and enchanted weaponry, each of my companions were incapacitated by the dastardly villain and the traps laid within this unholy place, leaving only myself to fend off Saravok and his gang of villains. The rumors might also say that the next couple of minutes mostly involved me running in a large circle around the temple in my boots of speed with Saravak just unable to catch me while I took pop shots at him with my crossbow until he succumbed to his wounds. I assure you that the true story was much more valiant and heroic than that. I definitely didn't defeat Saravak by remembering I had a magical projectile shooting ring that I had gotten weeks before but never used. No. <laughs> that would be silly, and indicative of a flamboyant narcissist narrowly skirting the insane amount of luck bequeathed upon him by some divine entity. Uh, it was a battle of bravery and cunning, and a match of strong wills. Anyway, Saravok, now slain, cackled in deranged satisfaction as he died, happy to be one more death in a never-ending chain. We returned victorious to Baldur's Gate as heroes who thwarted the plans of the evil Saravok in the Iron Throne. War was averted. The city was saved. My father was avenged. Saravok's body lay in that ancient temple to Baal, where unbeknownst to us, his very essence surged from his body, both his armor and his bones, vanishing to dust. Whatever remained of his cursed spirit flowed downward through the cracks of that crumbling place, traveling deep, deep beneath the ground. Eventually, Saravok's spirit found its home in a statue carved perfectly in his likeness. As his essence returned from whence it came, the statue of Saravok too crumpled becoming nothing more than a pile of loose stone and rubble. 
Around his remains stood other statues, countless statues, neatly aligned in a fathomless abyss. They represented all manner of mortal being, some destroyed as Saravak was, others still standing as I was. A likeness of myself likely stood there among the progeny, a monument to the dark heritage I was bound to, but had not succumbed to for now. And that is the end of, of Baldur's Gate. I'm a little nervous that my downstairs neighbors think that I'm now the Lord of Murder. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not the worst thing to have your neighbors be worried about, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You never know. Yeah. They'll be filling my Amazon packages like, is this a knife? So overall, guys, what did you think of what did you think of Baldur's Gate? I'll start with Ryan. Ryan, what did you think of Baldur's Gate? Sure. Uh, I mean, going into it, I, I didn't have any idea of the scope or of the the full collection of what was there. But it, it's I think part of it is is obviously the masterful storytelling that Jesse brought for us. But it, it's just a really good story of this. Again, we keep coming back to this, and a lot of the games we, we this kind of person who's thrown into a situation that they they don't want to be in, but they have to rise to the occasion. And in doing it and in, in following all the things they're doing, they end up becoming, you know, a hero. They end up becoming a, a, a person who has to save the world or, or save a city or save something. And this does such a great job of, of you being a character who is bound to effectively evil, right? A bound to the lord of murder. Um, you are the progeny of the god of murder. But you are able to kind of push this aside, at least for now, and, and become this really incredible hero and gather friends and 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 this in and over this really incredible weaving story that was really good just it's just a good story um just just on its own but then again elevated by the incredible storytelling of our guest yeah for sure i i, I before I, we throw it to jesse i love this story I, like ryan said it's so much deeper and and more complex than i ever gave it like thought to or would have given a thought to uh the idea that that callius is this uh, descent or this uh, offspring of the the god of murder is very interesting and, and it's so funny because you, you look at callius and, and you know being jesse's character it's, it's even more so like i could never see the connection there but it's so intriguing that there is one in that regard like that I, the idea that callius the humble is is the offspring of the god of murder is just so intriguing and and i like that in this story we kind of see my takeaway from this is that how you know parentage does not define who you have to become and i like that but from that last paragraph, you know, uh, um, the the monument to the darkness, to the dark heritage I was bound to, had not, but not had not yet succumbed to for now, makes you wonder: Will there be more of this theme going forward? Like maybe your parentage is more impactful than we realize. I'm very curious as to where it goes. Yeah, and which they do go into a lot of that in the Siege of Dragonspear, which again is is a really great continuation of the story and leads right into what will happen in Baldur's Gate 2, which I still don't know a lot about. I just, I, I, I started the very start of the game just to make sure I could, I could upload new Callius lines and all his stats from the first game over. So, and it, it does, it's like, it's like Siege of Dragonspear. It's like two seconds later, Baldur's Gate 2. Cool. So, which I mean, I guess was easy for them to do since they wrote Baldur's Gate 2 in the year 2000 and then did 
the connecting middle material in 2016. So it's like, yeah, we, we already know how the game starts, so we can just yeah. <laughs> tie it right up in there. Yeah, I was, I really liked thinking about, I had the, I was thinking as I was um, finishing up the end of the script, how like, we usually like heroes and myths kind of have this idea of like destiny. And before that was always kind of like a, like a turnoff to me, because it was always like, oh, this thing is just, it's just gonna happen. It's like a faded thing. And you know, it's like, you don't have any choice over it. So it's like, it's like, oh, then what's the point? But uh, thinking about how basically, you know, Saravok, no matter what you do, presents himself as the final boss for this game. And boy, is he hard. The, the wonderful endings, but which Kellys is happy to, um, to, to embellish as he is. Um, but I liked that idea where if, because the game kind of, you know, you can, you can choose what you want and where, but basically there's like, you know, a kind of like a basic good path and like a basic evil path. You know, the good path is, like we said, like, I refute this, you know, heritage of mine. That does not have to define me. Where the, the kind of evil path is like, you know what, I'm embracing this. It's like, Saravak, you need to get out of the way because I can do this a lot better. <laughs> so, and... So I liked that idea where it's like it's the destiny is not for your character, you know, kind of like most nameless RPG characters that you can decide known as either Garion's Ward or the Ball Spawn. It's like the destiny is just to face Sarabha. The destiny is just that you will come to this crossroads, but you have to pick which way you go. And I really liked thinking about it that way. Uh, especially in a game where it's all about your your choice and how that affects the the story and the people around you and the world as a whole. And speaking, and speaking of that too, I think you did a wonderful job incorporating that into your script, like incorporating the final battle and how that went for you. But you you did it in terms of uh, Callius's character and being the bard and to refute uh, it was done in a dishonorable way. No, 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 it was done in a very honorable. It was, it was you know very justified and and. and you know, and honorable, and it's, it's so it's just so good. I you did a very great job at, at crafting this story in terms of how you did it, and, and it's just a solid. And in our in our D and D games where I play Callius, that's basically what this whole that's how I thought of this entire game is just because I already have a backstory in mind for Callius, but he keeps it. Uh, he's he's kind of like the like Heath Ledger's Joker. Anytime anyone asks him about his backstory, he comes up with a different a different tale. Um, <laughs> so no one's really sure. So I just thought this was just like another super elaborate one. So the whole time I'm playing, I'm like, this is just like a story Callius is telling to like some poor soul who's stuck listening to him for like three <laughs> hours or so. Um, just like, and I, and I fought the terrible villain, Saravak, and he slew. When it's like in reality, I think we've talked maybe like Saravak was just some drunk dude in a bar that Callius fought this one time and they like, maybe like burned a building down while they were drunkenly fighting each other. And like it was a big thing in Baldur's Gate at the time and Callie's isn't allowed back there now um, or something like that. That'd be, I mean, that's a good story too. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good story. We'll have to see if that works out. If, we're, if our D&D game's ever, we're in, we're in Waterdeep right now. So we're not too far from Baldur's Gate actually, but we haven't, we haven't gone down there yet. There you go. Now you have now you have an idea. Of what you should do. <laughs> yeah. As quickly as you get there, you are also kicked out permanently for yeah. burning a bar down. But this 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 certainly is not the end of of this this story of Callius, as it does continue into Siege of Dragonspear is is surprisingly. Um, I guess not super. I mean, I guess surprisingly, from what you might expect from just like an expansion to a game, it 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 still does a lot of really cool things with the story and goes to a lot of really cool places, which I would be happy to to 
I'm like, I already started it like last night. I'm just like, I need to, I need to make this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come back whenever you want to. Seriously, yeah, please, whenever please. you want to. <laughs> this has been an, a fantastic episode already. Like before even the editing has happened, I already know. Like there's just no way it can. Be. <laughs> Well, thank you guys so, so much for having me. It's been of it's been an absolute pleasure. I didn't think I would enjoy just getting to be on a podcast talking about video games so much. But well, there you go. See, that's the beauty <laughs> we're of glad it. to have you. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. we're not responsible for any um, uh, th- uh, throat soreness or vocal oh boy. the contract you signed. Yeah, sorry. Uh, we're like about to go like play another game. Play D and D after this. Yeah, you better get that. Go get some tea and honey the voice although cynthia go. cynthia's a little more low-key yeah playing a different character hopefully cynthia just won't talk the whole time she's just gonna be stoic <laughs> and silent she's a rogue so that scans yeah mm-hmm. is she a cool dancer it's a rugrats joke <laughs> i've had i literally i got to play i think it was only like our my second game because i i made her recently but um yeah i just had that in my head the whole time so it was just like you know okay. i'm like sneaking around like you know uh, like uh, we're like trying to like avoid some guards detection the whole time i'm just like cynthia she's a really cool dancer cynthia boogie to the group now uh, it's never going to leave nor should it nor should it well, thank you jesse you did fantastic yeah thank you so much or anything you want to? Is there any uh, any way you want storygoers to find you? Uh, oh or boy, anything like that. This is this is probably my big debut into the world. So I would I, I guess I would say stay tuned for when I do the do the Siege of Dragonspear script and and whenever I get around to actually playing Baldur's Gate two, which I'm really excited for, and do that. And who knows? Maybe I'll I'll have other things. We'll see. We'll see. I'm I'm I'm, I'm burgeoning into new territories. <laughs> <laughs> You're always welcome. You're, I'm yeah, super happy you came. I know Ryan yeah. is too. Like, I don't want to speak for Ryan, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm super happy with this. Like, you've been a fantastic guest. So please, anytime you want to come back. Whenever you finish your script, come back. We will happily, <laughs> of course. happily let you on. Knowing me, I'll probably have it finished by like tomorrow. <laughs> You'll have four. You'll have four done by tomorrow. I'll have been up till like five in the morning. And I'll just be like, here it is. It's done. I'm ready. <laughs> Storygoers, remember... Email us your thoughts, feelings, or perspective to Tales from the Cartridge at gmail.com. All of the E's are threes. My dog is eating an envelope right now, so if you hear that, I'm sorry. <laughs> also, find us on Twitter and Instagram. DM us or comment. Let us know what you think. Okay. <laughs> well, it's been a great episode. Jesse, thank you so much for being thank a part you, of Jesse. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you so much for having me. And we will see you all in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Cynthia, she's a really cool dancer. Cynthia, boogie to the groove now.